Indeed it does, John. Thank you very much. Right now on Fast, NVIDIA's unstoppable move, the chip giant posting a nearly 90% jump in revenue, a big boost in guidance, and announcing a huge buyback. We got the numbers, the stock pop, and the instant analysis coming up. Plus, Foul Financial's Foot Locker stinking up the joint today. The stock down nearly 30% as the retailer posted a dismal quarter and slashed its outlook again. The retail ripple effect minutes away, and later, Peloton's downhill ride rolls on. The options action on one of the monster bond ETFs, and Netflix surging in the face of the writer's strike standstill. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Tyler Matheson in from Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money live from the NASDAQ market site. And on the desk tonight, Steve Grasso, Bono and Eisen, Guy Adami, and guest trader Katie Stockton from Fairlead Strategies. Welcome to all of you. Good to be with you. We start, of course, with that massive post-hours uh, um, earning move in NVIDIA. The stock surging on demand for its AI chips, including the after-hours move. The company has gained more than $900 billion in market value <laughs> just this year. That's more than one Berkshire Hathaway, which, by the way, is the next biggest company in the S&P 500. NVIDIA's call is just kicking off. Our Christina Partsinevelis has all the details on the quarter. Christina, tell us about it. Well, I have to just point out that the options market was right. They had anticipated a 10% swing, and you can see the stock is up almost 10%. And that's because the AI hype has materialized into dollars for NVIDIA, the company posting not only a 61-cent EPS beat, but revenues that came in at 13.5 billion dollars versus the 11.2 billion estimated. For context, that's more revenues than the combined amount of Q2 and Q3 of last year. And if we're talking about guidance, let's talk about Q3. It was even more impressive, $3 billion above consensus at $16 billion. So that's, that's $3 billion more than what was anticipated. The last time that happened was last quarter with NVIDIA. Data center revenues, which contributes roughly 60% of total revenue and encompasses those popular AI chips, jumped 141% quarter over quarter to $10.3 billion. That is the major driver for this name. Uh, the company also announcing a $25 billion buyback. There's no deadline for it. The company plans to keep buying back shares this year as well. So this blowout report is setting a positive tone for greater tech right now. You got rival AMD that is trading about 2%. Oh, look at that. 7.5% higher. Their chip is coming out in Q4, their AI. Contractor TSMC up almost 6%. Supermicro up 7 The call has maybe just begun. I'm about to tune in and we're going to be looking for comments about the investment cycle going forward. Customers, they're going to keep spending and if supply will constrain future quarters. Guys? All right, Christina, a lot to digest. Thank you very much. Let's trade it. Guy, let's start with you. Numbers don't get much better than those. A lot of superlatives. Listen, I've I've been a non-believer in terms of valuation for a while. I'll say this. Actually, with this guide for the quarter, they're actually sort of growing into their valuation, albeit still an expensive stock. So they probably went from 26 times revenue. If you sort of extrapolate out the 16 billion, let's say now they're at 22. That's the good news. Margins, operating margins, 57 and a half percent. Same quarter last year were 20 percent. Incredible. I mean, so all great things. I mean, the superlatives one after another. The question, of course, is can this growth rate continue and is it justifiable of this valuation that we're seeing? Well, Listen, but I've been a non I got to be fully, you know, I've not been a believer for a while. What will change your mind to make you a believer? Well, at this point, to be honest with you, I mean, sometimes things just get so out of the, out of, you, you're just so wrong on something, it's not even worth yeah. No, you can't, you can't, because if you start chasing now, then you start yeah. doing it backwards. Yeah. 
Bonwin, I mean, the, the, the law of big numbers here com, comes into play. I don't even know what the law is, but <laughs> whatever. Not, I respect the law. Let, this, me, yeah. let me just tell you, I respect the law. But the law of big numbers says you, you can't keep compounding at these rates, can you? No, you can't. But you're probably not buying the stock because you expect this to to go into perpetuity. Essentially, your the argument is that this this thing, despite its valuation around 48, 50 times, I believe it is, was undervalued given the growth that they were going to have in top line and margins going forward for the next two or three years. Keep in mind that they're still meeting less than half, less than 50 percent of the demand that they actually have for these chips. And the stuff that we kind of brushed to the side, autos, gaming, the things that we totally forgot that they do, still beat across those boards as well. So clearly AI is the driver, but give me another play, another pure play for AI right now. That yeah. is monetizing AI and that's, and that's right what this now. Is. Right. That's until, what this is. Until you, in, in today's ex- time. Exactly. Exactly. So, and, and they are, depending on, on who you speak with, and I tweeted this today, they're either 70 or 85% of the AI market. It's theirs to lose. So when you look at it in those terms, no one's even knocking on their door. No one's even close to where they are. So Bonwin brought up some numbers or actually brought up some buckets of income. Right now, AI is 5% of their total sales. If you look at data centers, you're at 20%. Internet of things, it's 10 to 15%. This is not pixie dust. This is not something that's glitter and sparkles. This is happening right now. And to Bonowin's point, nobody else is monetizing it right now. It's their game to lose and their game to lose for quite some time. How big is the market going to be? 160 what? Who knows? Put, yeah. put a B or a T on it. Who knows what the market's going to be, right? They're going to own 80% of it. Going forward. Katie, yeah. we had, I think it was Carter Worth last night, showed us a chart. And on pre- previous earnings days, uh, the quarter, last quarter and the quarter before that, the gap up was, you, it was just, you saw it right there. It was like looking at an x-ray of a leg fracture. And there was the break. And you saw it go up 24%, 27%. This looks like a 10% move. What does the chart tell you? I mean, it's really remarkable to see a gap up after such a prolonged up move. But it's what we saw from NVIDIA in May also. Yeah. So we, we have have the potential to see immediate upside follow through. What we tend to do with short-term investors is to watch the gap, kind of mind the gap. Mind the gap. Tomorrow's gap, if it falls very quickly within maybe a week or so back into that gap, that usually is a short-term setback. And that might be an indication to reduce exposure temporarily. For long-term holders, I can't make a compelling case against the stock. It's new highs. It has very good long-term momentum. But before earnings, we did see a loss of momentum that was shared by many large-cap tech stocks. So so some folks might want to take some profit. There was a little bit of sentiment around this table last night. You weren't here. And you weren't here. And you, nobody was, I was here. You were here. I don't know. You were awake during this part. What part? But, uh, the, I'm <laughs> the, the part where, where I, maybe it was you who said it. Um, is this the, as good as it gets for NVIDIA? No. no. How, could, how can it be as good as it gets? We haven't even started the market. So there are a lot of companies that are pixie dust. Yeah. Right? So there are a lot of companies that aren't capable of monetizing it. They have a backlog. Can you imagine what their backlog of orders yeah. is right now? Their only, their only issue is capacity. Constraint. China's buying. A lot of the Chinese companies are buying their, their chips, right? And, and they've got a big backlog from China as well, not just the U.S. users. I think those are slightly different chips, right, given the sanctions that have been imposed there. Yeah, I think. Some, some of them, yeah. But all that does is 
increased demand. That's another chip that needs to be manufactured and shipped. You know, there's probably an AI light chip, given, you know, what we've done in terms of like that, that trade balance the there. Yeah. But, my, but, but to Steve's point, it, it really is about they've yet to tap into. Now, honestly, you know, I've been bullish to stock. I actually view it through a slightly different lens. It is probably as good as it gets in terms of perception because we just don't know what this AI boom is. So our imagination allows us to extrapolate what this market may be. At some point, we'll actually be able to quantify what the what that market truly looks like. And at that point, maybe you start to see some pullback. But to your point, remember Tesla's run. And we were all saying, listen, Tesla trades on nothing but technicals and Pixie does. We have no idea what the valuations are, but there was no other player in town. And I think it's a similar situation. So until we're actually able to put a finger on it and quantify what this market actually looks like, we are we know that they own 80 to 90 percent of our imagination. And to me, that's a compelling reason until you're able to quantify and show data that shows otherwise. And, and one, one last thing on this. We haven't heard or did they say anything about a stock split? They have not yet. I don't buy back. No, no, they said a buyback. 25 billion. You get that next thing about sniffing around about a stock split. There's a mm. whole group of investors that are waiting for that stock split for that next leg higher, believe it or not. Yeah, we had a, a guy on Power Lunch earlier today, uh, Harsh Kumar. He changed his price target to $500. What is it, what is it trading at right now? 512? 517. 517. Five, 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 five. Pretty nice move there. Pretty, pretty good. There was an $800 price target late last week. So, I mean, people were ratcheting up for sure. To Katie's point, though, on the technical front, and I'm sure Carter would. Now you have two gaps in the chart. You have the gap yeah. from May from 320 to, you know, four. And a quarter, 450. Now you have this subsequent gap. If, in fact, we open here tomorrow, from yet from today's close into where we are today, you don't historically see these gaps going unfilled for a you know a prolonged period of time. So let's see how it all shakes out. Listen, I get all the things there are to like about this. You know, we have seen double ordering in the past, and this and say what you want. This is an industry that over time becomes extraordinarily commoditized. They're in the top of the hill right now. You know, chances are they'll stay that way, but the hill will get a lot smaller, is my opinion. Yeah, interesting point. All right, by the way, Qs are up 1% after hours on this NVIDIA move. And for more on NVIDIA's second quarter, let's bring in Susquehanna's Chris Rowland. Uh, Chris, you say these results are nothing short of phenomenal. I don't think you'd get much argument. Yeah, our, our quote, our title of our last note was the greatest beat of all time. And I think they stole that from this quarter's update as well. The greatest beat of all time. I'm going to go see Michael Jackson tonight. There's beat it in there. That's one of the great beats of all time. But this is, this is right up there. Where do you think this stock can go from here, Chris? I mean, Jensen's talked about $600 billion of eventual AI revenue with 300 on the hardware side. Um, you know, I think there's probably upside from here, upside for numbers for probably another quarter or two at least to go until we finally figure out what cruising altitude is for, for, for the hardware part of this AI story. The revenue uh, in the most recent quarter was, what was it, $13 billion, $13.5 billion. That runs out to, uh, if you just go simple here, you, that's $52 billion uh, over the course of, the, uh, of 12 months. What do you see as a 12-month revenue run rate for this company? You're going to have to go a lot higher than that. Uh, believe it or not, 
the 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 prior street numbers are now probably just in line with data center numbers for Nvidia. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did a bunch of survey work. Uh, we did our preview going into this. We were super bullish. We thought data center for next year could be doing fifty five billion. And my guess is after today, the buy side's going to be at eighty billion in data center for next year. In data um, so, center, what percent of uh, NVIDIA's revenue is data center revenue? It's a high, very high percentage, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it really depends on, on, on what, what uh, year you're talking about. But in the current quarter, for example, uh, you know, two-thirds of it right now is from data center. Yeah, as Bonwin pointed out, though, it wasn't just the data centers that were doing well. It was the gaming. It was all, all kinds of things. You had a question. Yeah, Chris, Bonwin here. Uh, so, listen, we're all bold up on this name. What should we be <laughs> looking for from the sell side? What, what, what are the things that should be concerning for an investor in NVIDIA right now amidst all the euphoria? Yeah, I, I think Guy touched on it a little bit, uh, double ordering. Uh, Steve touched on it, bookings. So, you know, the backlog here is incredible. But the question is, is there some buying ahead? Uh, And I think there ultimately is some buying ahead. Uh, This probably isn't going to come to some sort of a a moment of, of, um, you know, a downtick, let's say, probably until mid next year uh, as people are clamoring one on top of another to get H100s, to get AI cards. Uh, There is definitely a frenzy out there right now. But given this frenzy, I can't imagine that there isn't double ordering taking place as well. All right, Chris, thank you very much. Chris Roland of Susquehanna, we appreciate that. Uh, Let's trade this, Steve. uh what do I do? So back back in May when it gapped up, I said, sometimes you just have to hold your nose and buy the stock. And, and that, that proved to be true. And, and now I do believe, I always talk about a three-day rule. I, I do believe you have to sit back. Katie touched on it before. See how it we'll reacts tomorrow. Does it fill in the gap at all? Wait a couple of days, but I still hold your nose and buy the stock. Yeah. Katie, any further thoughts here? Yeah, I would just say generally a better seller with the intention to revisit it after some consolidation. Final thought, Guy? No, I mean, congratulations if you've been on this. I mean, everybody but me on this desk has been. I'll say this. You know, we have seen stories like this over the last few decades where everybody gets extraordinarily excited. Things do become commoditized. Yeah, they have 80% right now. Guess what? If there's that kind of total adjustable market out there, other players will get into the space as well. Then you have margin compression. And if we are seeing double ordering by the Chinese ahead of other sanctions coming, this all starts to feed on itself. And oh, by the way, the China-Taiwan thing is still out there, which would potentially be catastrophic for this space, especially a name like NVIDIA. Bono, one last word to you. Well, listen, I'm long. I'm going to stay long. My only suggestion would be put in a stop loss. You've made a ton of money here. There's no point in trying to extract an additional 1% or 2% by being cute. Put in a stop loss around 450 and then let the thing ride. Good way to end it. Really good advice there. Thanks uh, very much. Uh, come, coming up, folks, we've got Foot Locker getting kicked and taking uh, other big retailers down with it. The headlines that had investors running for the door next. Plus, the latest out of the writer's strike, what the studios are offering and why it's just not enough. Uh, all that and more when Fast Money returns when we return in two minutes. Welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. Shares of Foot Locker falling off a cliff after the company reported a soul-crushing quarter. <laughs> Get it? Soul-crushing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 
Because you got to think. Easy. You gotta think. <laughs> it suspended its dividend slash guidance for the second time this year. Look at that fall off in Foot Locker. FL blaming consumer weakness for the results. The stock dropping 28% today. Second worst day on record and hitting levels not seen since all the way back 13 years ago, 2010. The commentary dragging shares of other athletic wear retailers lower. Nike falling for a 10th day in a row, mm. extending its longest losing streak ever. Mono and play referee here on these uh, stocks, and particularly maybe on Foot Locker. Yeah, foul. Foul. Blow the whistle. Foul. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe Personal suspension. Foul. I don't know. PEDs. This is a... Uh... This is a tough one. You know, I know um, the CEO, Mary Dillon, here is working on a, a like a reorg, reconstruction. I know that they've moved away from Nike or tried to diversify a bit. I know that they've also had some uh, slippage and loss from from things from theft and things of that nature. So, you know, I just think it's a challenging setup and I really think expectations are quite low. So to see this move to the downside on the back of that setup to me is particularly concerning. I think it's seven and a half times forward. It, it's somewhat of a value trap. I think you look at that and you're saying, OK, well, maybe I start taking a nibble here, but I don't really see any compelling reason, particularly after the guide down. In terms of where I'd be looking, it's probably Nike. I think Lulu is a bit it's a bit expensive here. Nike sub 100 around that $95 level starts, starts to look, to look compelling. I think sub 25 times forward earnings, I think you start to take a look at that one. Nike's still the big horse in this stable by a long, long shot. But there are a lot more sneaker brands out there to choose from today. The Hoka's, you see a lot of those. Ons, you see a lot of I those, love right? Skechers. Oh, he'll Skechers. never admit it. He'll never admit <laughs> sketchers, it, you but he likes slipping on his Skechers. You know, people wear sneakers. So I'm not one of those sneakers You're with not a, a sneaker suit, no. Yeah. Just yeah. saying. I've but started to wear Can I ask you a question? If when we, people talk about slippage or shrinkage or whatever, whatever. Well, we had a conversation last if night. If someone ran into this studio and stole Bonawin's laptop, yeah, would rough, we, would we allow that. that happen to happen? No. No. What's going on with retail, him. Tyler? We would stop him. Stop the theft. Stop, stop the, using stop the it shrinkage. for earnings. Exactly. These stocks, though, to, to Bonowin's point, nothing compelling about Foot Locker other than the level that it's at. It's like a fireman trade. Yeah. Everyone's running out of the building. It's a burning building. Somebody, the fireman, has to run up. Maybe you could buy something and get some sort of a retracement on the way up. Too early to think about that, but just on a price level. Okay, that yeah, might so be you're sort of sh- shaking your head you know, a little bit. They're all in downtrends. So, and now we have some gaps, of course, that we can keep an eye on for those gaps to be filled potentially. But what you're doing is, is putting on a short-term counter-trend trade, and those tend to be pretty low probability. So I, I think it's a high-risk area from a technical perspective, and it has been for a very long time. If you look at the Spider XRT, the retail Spider, That ETF has underperformed for more than a year, and it's continuing, of course, to do so with these gaps down. And so we don't have any counter-trend indications in the space yet. We don't like breakdowns. We especially don't like breakdowns when the market's rolling. So the the whole space, you see it as sort of infertile ground. Yeah, I mean, we would apply the gaps down that we've seen as a message from the market regarding the whole space. Is there a name in this area that you like? Tim, we're here. Tim's been saying the short Nike now for the better part of a month and a half. And that's been it's on a nine day losing streak, a 10 day losing streak. He's been right. And that probably will continue. I mean, quickly about Foot Locker. And this is not good. You have inventories up 11 and a half percent year over year against sales growth of negative 10 percent year over year. So that means by definition, margins are going to continue to contract. So there's no compelling reason to be long footlocker. And then you start to do the math. 
means that Nike's probably too expensive. And quite frankly, I'm shocked that Lululemon held in as well as it did today. All right. There's a lot more fast to come. And here's what's coming up next. The writer's strike is in its 115th day, and Hollywood studios are bringing an offer to the table. The concessions they're willing to make and what the unions have to say about it. Plus, Jackson Hole on the horizon. Investors on the edge of their seats ahead of Jerome Paul's big speech Friday. What you can expect out of this year's big meeting. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. The major studio is moving higher today as investors hope for progress uh, in ending at least one of the strikes wrangling Hollywood right now. But those hopes may be premature. Julia Borston here with the very latest on the gridlock in Tinseltown. Hi, Julia. Well, Tyler, there were hopes that the talks that were happening last week would yield progress. But now here we are. We are back to gridlock. Now, last night, the WGA met with the AMPTP's president, along with Disney's Bob Iger, Warner Brothers Discovery's David Zaslav, Universal's Donna Langley, and Netflix's Ted Sarandos. Now, those talks did not go well, and then the AMPTP released its latest proposal publicly, effectively appealing directly to the writers to put pressure on their leadership to accept the offer. Now, the offer includes what the studios say is the highest wage increase in more than three decades, what they call landmark protections against AI, as well as increased transparency about streaming data, which then can be used to figure out more fair compensation around streaming. Now, the WGA criticizing the offer and writing to their members, quote, this wasn't a meeting to make a deal. This was a meeting to get us to cave. Now, as picketing continues today, the question is whether both sides can reach a deal that restarts production in time for new shows to be ready by early next year and whether the studios will end up pushing back big fall films such as Dune Part 2 amid concerns that the box office will suffer if the stars aren't around to promote them. And of course, the Screen Actors Guild strike is ongoing. Now for the fall TV season, expect lots of reality TV, lots of sports, so we're going to have to see what gets these guys back to the negotiating table. Tyler. All right, Ju Julia, thanks very much. Uh, let's trade this one around a little bit. Uh, Katie, any thoughts here on the entertainment business? Yeah, I mean, Netflix is one that's in a long-term uptrend, and it's corrected. So it's somewhat interesting to me. I just don't think it's the right time from a top-down perspective necessarily to add exposure. But when we do see the correction mature, which we expect within a few weeks, I think we'll have the opportunity to go back to leaders just like Netflix. Steve? It's, it's been Netflix and, and everybody, and everybody else, else. Is, yep. is way off to the side. But there's been two things that have really helped Netflix. It was the password sharing crackdown and the writer's strike. Both of those things seem extended to me. This is a stock back in July that was $485. It's come in considerably to Katie's point. It has corrected. The password sharing is going to run its, run its route. That's going to be over. The strike will in time be over. Those were your tailwinds. I think it's time to take profit. The strike was a tailwind. Why? They had a bunch of content. No one else had the content. They didn't, yeah. have, they didn't have actors. They didn't have anybody writing anything. And they had a lot of stuff. They that had was a lot ready of stuff the on the shelf ready exactly. to go. Much more of an international presence yeah. as well. And more of an international play. Any other thoughts here? No, their production's the overseas. No, to Steve's yeah. point, that 385 level sticks out. I'm sure Katie probably sees that as well. And it's clearly Netflix world. What I find remarkable is how miserably 
Disney trades, even on a decent mm, market day, mm. can't get out of its own way. Now we're at levels we saw in, in the worst of the pandemic. It, it's, it's incredible. And quite frankly, I was the one who thought on their last earnings release when they announced the fact that they were raising prices. And that would be it. That would be the catalyst. And it worked for about a day. But here we are below the levels we saw does, before earnings. Does anybody think, as I do, that when Disney announced that partnership with the gambling company, that the, with ESPN putting them together, that that hastened the day when Disney splits off ESPN? Anybody, oh, anybody jump on that? Yeah, I, 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 I think that's the case. But fully Dis- Disney has had its own issues uh, in the state of Florida. That has been a lid on on the stock as well. There's been a lot of stuff, a lot of issues with the parks. Prices are increasing. The parks number is an astronomical number, but if they can't tap into it, it they're they're sort of back in the day. There was it was not a streaming company. Now people only see streaming and they can't execute. So mm-hmm. they be careful what you wish for, and Disney just can't get out, of, get out of its own way. Over, under on the number of times the name Disney comes up at the Republican debate tonight. Oh, that's interesting. That's, there's yeah. your bet right there. Go on, 10. 10? No, that's Ooh, a lot. That's, that's a lot. That's, I'm I'll taking He's making a market. I'll take making a market. 10. There you go. All right, folks, coming up, one day closer to Jackson Hole. Wow. And all eyes. All eyes. It says right here, all eyes. You're right. You got your eyes on the Jackson Hole. What my Fed chair pal will have to say. What can you expect and how the markets could react? We'll look at that. And some fast movers catching our eyes. A cycling slump and a flourishing pharma stock. The reasons behind the big swings when fast money returns. We'll be right back. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money Podcast. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks jumping ahead of the Fed's big Jackson Hole meeting uh, that begins, I think, tomorrow. And really the uh, pinnacle of it is Friday when Chair Powell speaks. The Dow climbing half a percent. The S&P posting its first 1% plus gain of the quarter. That's hard to believe. And Nasdaq up more than 1.5% today, bringing its win streak to three straight days. The Yankees can't say that. Uh, Shares of cloud services stock Cloudfare climbing nearly 6% today. The stock getting a boost on reports that SpaceX is working with the firm to speed up its Starlink service. Cloudfare up nearly 40% this year. Pause here for just a minute. A few weeks ago, I was on vacation at a place called Baldhead Island Mm. in North Carolina. It was really, really dark. And we, my wife and I were out on the, on the beach, and we looked up into the sky, and we saw this garland of little lights, one after another, absolutely perfectly sequenced. And it was Starlink. It was those satellites. How wow. about that? It was the coolest thing. One sure of it was. I yeah. thought they were aliens. <laughs> I thought they were aliens. All right, more earnings reports are filtering in. <laughs> Snowflake, Splunk, Splunk. And Autodesk all jumping after their numbers close. There you see, look at those numbers jumping right there. One of the mar- one market watcher we know sees upside in Uber caps through the end of this year. His name is Chris Harvey, and he's the head of equity strategy at Wells Fargo Securities. Chris, welcome. Thank Uber you. Uber caps. Uber Who caps. are they? Why do we like them? <laughs> so Uber caps are the largest stocks in the S&P 500. Usually what we do is we use, if we're using an index, it's a Russell Top 50. Why do we like them? They're only at 10% premium to the market, but what are you getting? You're getting better growth, better balance sheets, stability with an AI kicker. So what's not to like? 
So the Magnificent Seven that we talk about all the time, they would be the leading, they would be the bell cows of these stocks. Yeah, I would say that that's a fair thing to say. I wouldn't use that term, but yeah, Why bell cows. Why would you use that? Because he made the other term up. <laughs> Why would he use that term? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I prefer nothing cowbell. Against, <laughs> nothing against cows here, right? <laughs> no, nothing, that, right? nothing against cows. Okay, good. So, so you you like them in terms of their valuation compared with the market generally, and you yep. think their growth prospects are better? Yeah. How do I buy them? Do I so, just buy them individually or do I buy uh, an ETF in them? What? I think you buy them individually. You can buy, there's not a whole lot of ETFs that are very liquid that cover these. So you do have to buy them. Probably a better way to do it is individually because there is a ton of liquidity. But um, at the end of the day, what I think is many people already own a lot of these stocks. And really, this is more of an institutional. A lot of people talk about small caps, mid cap, large cap. And really what we want to do is we want to bias it to these large caps because that's where you're going to get a lot of your bang for your buck. And that's what's going to lead the parade. Questions from the table for Chris. Anything? Sure. J Jackson Hole, what, yeah. what, what should we be looking for? What should we expect and what should we fear? So I, I think it's going to be a complete not a nothing burger, right? What the Fed is going to say, or what the Fed should say, and what I think the Fed will say is they're going to stick to their narrative. And their narrative has been rates are restrictive enough. They just haven't been restrictive enough for long enough. If they keep that narrative, everything's fine. Then what we're, what we're going to see is we're going to see uncertainty come down. Market probably rallies on that, and we move on. And then we start looking for the calendar. We start to look to earnings season in September. And then we start to look at growth for 24. Why don't you give us your, your just the market, right. just top down. So you know the Uber, right. Uber uh, cap stocks. So what do you think about the market? So let, let's give you the, the short term. So what we were looking for is, is we were looking for rates to firm, and that was from the equity market. We saw that, right? Our price target is 4,400, but we do think the market can get up to 46. So our trading range is 42 to 46, but we think it gets overvalued for a period of time. That said, once we get to the, if we get to that higher level, we want to really start to downshift because we don't see this great opportunity for next year. We just don't see a ton of growth. And at the end of the day, we think you can make a ton of money in Uber caps, but it's for a short period only. Uber caps, your year end target is 44.20. Right now we're at 44.36. So basically. Well, oh yeah, we're, we're there. So what we're saying we're is we think it can go overvalued. We think you can get up to 46. But once you get to 46, there, you, what you need to get things higher than that, you need a really, really strong recovery in 2024. And we just don't see that. But the argument that you make is that these Uber caps among the S&P 500 would be the place where you could get some excess return. That, that's right. Because, again, they have better growth prospects, better balance sheets. They're more stable. You have that AI kicker. And a lot of these names are still under owned by the institutional set. All right, Chris, it's nothing you said. I'm going to turn to Guy for reaction. No, I mean, <laughs> Chris might agree with this as well. There could be a scenario where the market goes sideways to lower and his scenario being in Ubercap's work. What we've seen over the last couple of years, when the market does get a little squirmy, you've seen this flight to quality in all the names that he talks about. So even if the market does nothing, that might work. Katie, what do the charts say to you about where the market's going for the rest yeah, of the year? You know, the, the leadership tends to lead when we come out of corrections, right? So we see defensive sector right. rotation during corrective phases. That's arguably what we have right are now. Are we in a little corrective phase now? We are. Uh, yeah. yeah, we are. Mm -hmm. Not today exactly, but no. we are, um, in our opinion. But you do tend to see these large caps, the heavyweights that comprise technology, communication services, right, consumer discretionary, all tend to outperform coming out of these 
down cycle. So it makes sense to me, and I think you've come up with an idea for an ETF as well. Mm. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. We'll call it the Ubers, right? <laughs> we'll call it the Ubers. Oh, the, the, yeah. <laughs> the bell cow. There, there might be a copyright issue there, but. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder if there's a way to, to, to squeeze out incremental yield by kind of having it relative value against something else. So either concentrating this investment in these Uber caps and then selling the S&P against that or picking a pocket of the S&P, perhaps retail, that you're less bullish on and having some short there. I just think that being that these names are underinvested and it's hard to chase at these levels without at least freeing up cash somewhere else. And so yeah. like that, that would be something that I'd want to look into. Cool. Appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thanks for coming. All right. All right options traders are betting uh, that today's move higher in the beaten down TLT might just signal the bottom for long-term treasuries. Kelly Intelligence CEO Kevin Kelly joins us with the action. Kevin. Hi, Tyler. Yeah, well, heading into Jackson Hole, we saw outsized uh, option trading around all fixed income ETFs. And the TLT is no exception. It had about 1.72 times the amount of calls traded versus puts. And what's interesting is the TLT's volatility is higher than the S&P 500 right now. It has about a vol of 18.27 versus just about 16 on the VIX. Now, today we saw the largest trades or the most active contracts were in the $98 strike of the calls that expire all the way out in, into October. So we saw just under 19,000 uh, contracts traded that. It closed around $1.64, but traders are expecting to see that the TLT is going to move higher all the way through the October expiration, and it starts with Jackson Hole this week. Starts with Jackson Hole. All right, let's uh, trade this one a little bit. Kevin, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Uh, who would like to take a whack at what he just said? If you think, if you think TLT is going higher, you obviously think 10-year yields have topped out here at 430-ish and are headed back lower. So question you have to ask yourself, under what scenario do the rates start going low? Well, one of the reasons today is because the data we got, the, the manufacturing data was miserable. So that obviously helps yields to go lower. If the market were to sell off, you might see a flight to quality in the form of bonds as well. That makes yields go lower. And the fact that we held the October low, Katie can speak to this in terms of the TLT, leads you to believe short term we can go higher in the TLT, lower in rates. Interesting. Anyone want to add there? Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Both yields and also TLT have come into important levels on their charts. So if you look at TLT, there's support around 92. We got a big gap up today. It looks more of the breakaway nature. And 10-year Treasury yields had run right up against 434, which is resistance, a very widely followed level, a very natural place for a pullback. Emphasis on pullback, not a major reversal. And if all that happens, Uber cap. Ooh, all right, good. We're going to take a quick break. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. I'll be here. Hope you will be, too. Coming up, we've got a pop and a drop mm -hmm. heading your way. How to trade the jump in Merck and what's pushing Peloton lower. The details in those trades next. Plus, we can't have a guest trader like Katie Stockton here for the hour without putting her to work. Not that she's been slacking off. She'll go off the charts to bring us one sector that could withstand any potential market correction. Stick around. More Fast Money in two minutes.
All right, welcome back to Fast Money. We got a buzzkill in the bike business. Peloton plummeting more than 22% today. It's been a sad story for that stock for the past couple of years. After reporting a wider than expected loss in its fourth fiscal quarter and a drop in new subscribers, shares of the one-time work-from-home darling trading at its lowest level since its IPO back in 2019. Bonowin, you admitted you own it. Yeah. You said, I'm free to kick you. I won't do that. Yeah, I like the bike, I got to say. I think the bike is well, good. You mentioned theft earlier. I wish someone would have come and stolen these <laughs> Peloton shares from me. Listen, I think it's a great service. I think it's a great company. I think, that, I think that they have righted the ship in terms of focusing from a hardware company to a service company, the subscription-based model, it's recurring revenue. These are all the things that you want to see as an investor. They've just got to find a path to profitability, and I have a hard time dumping it down here. Admittedly, I've been wrong, but I do see some light at the end of the tunnel. However, that tunnel gets longer and longer with every mist that they seem to report. Yeah, there's not a tunnel at the end of the light, I guess, yeah, uh, maybe. Yeah. yeah, well, we'll see. There's we'll a tunnel see. at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, there's a tunnel <laughs> at the end of the tunnel. All right, let's move on to Merck, topping the tape today, closing nearly 4% higher as momentum in healthcare builds up. The stock had has been on a slow but steady climb since reporting mixed results uh, at the beginning of the month. It's up more than 4% in August, however, handily beating the broader market. So, Steve, what do you make of this move? So you always have to, it's always binary to me. So whether you're doing biotech or pharma stocks, you always have to think about what what's their pipeline, what other drugs they have. So Keytruda is really the lion's share of revenues for Merck. They lose Cancer the, drug, right? Yes, Big they lose drug, the exclusivity post-2028. So they have to fill that with something else. So you're making a bet that they can figure out how to fill that. But people look at Merck as uh, the old standby trade. I I think you're better off staying clear of it until we know what that pipeline looks like. All righty. Coming up, we are going to go off the charts. Katie has a new, a few correction protection plays to share with us. Stick around to find out what she sees working if things start heading south. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast. Stocks may be positive on the year, but the uh, August reversal has some investors wondering where to find strength now. And Katie Stockton is looking at uh, how different sectors are setting up for a market correction. Let's go off the charts, Katie. What are you looking at and what are you seeing? Yeah, of course, we have seen some sector rotation with the pullback and it tends to lean more defensive. But it's been interesting of late where we've actually had Cyclical sectors kick in as well. Energy, for one, has resurfaced as a leader this month. And to me, I I think we may see a little bit more of the same. What's happened is we need yields to pull back in order to see that rotation into the likes of utilities and also REITs. So this is a kind of interesting scatter diagram, isn't it? Left upper quadrant is where you want to be, I guess, improving. That's right, improving. And this is a short-term view of sector performance. Anything far to the right has done better than the S&P 500, which is at the crosshairs. Anything to the left, consider it more oversold. And it tends to maintain a clockwise rotation. So it's a, the cyclicality of the market is very clockwise. real. Oh. And we have everything normalized there. So you can see it's sort of the emerging leadership from a sector perspective does lean a little bit more defensive and certainly more cyclical than what we were accustomed to before it. Defensive like 
healthcare? Like healthcare. And I, I think that's the best example that we have. And it's really wild because if you look at XLV, which is the healthcare spider ETF relative to the S&P 500, you'll see there an intermediate term downtrend that seems to be shifting, shifting to the upside now. We have some rotation that appears meaningful into healthcare. And I think that that's one of the best sectors to position for outperformance here in the near term as a counter trend move. Interestingly, if you look at the technology sector, which previously had been a source of outperformance, of course, it's faltered a little bit. It looks somewhat the reverse of healthcare. So I think it's been at the expense That's of the technology. XLK. What is that again? Which XLK, technology spider ETF versus the S&P 500. You see a loss of upside momentum in relative terms there. And the 200-day moving at just for those of us like me who, who, who don't do charts, I don't do charts, but uh, the, the purple line there is the 200-day moving average of the S&P 500. That's right. And generally speaking, long term, we want to stay on the right side of that 200-day moving averages slope. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, we would expect an opportunity to resurface here with the correction in technology for one. All right. Who would like to jump in? I agree with Katie on energy for sure. I mean, in the last couple of weeks, it's been sort of skittish. But I think energy reaccelerates as inflation does. And we'll tie some things together. TLT bottoming out. If TLT goes higher, yields go lower. The XLU, which made an all-time high last August, is now within a whisper of a 52-week low. So if you do think yields go lower, TLT holds... XLU to trade from a bottom here for looking for a pop makes a lot of sense. Steve? The, the top three uh, constituents of the XLV are UNH, Johnson & Johnson, and uh, Eli Lilly. Eli has been the only On thing fire. That, On has, fire. that has performed. UNH continues to disappoint. J&J winds up hitting the wall. So... It's not, I'd rather buy the individual. I, I'm still bullish on Eli, uh, Eli Lilly versus buying the XLV as a, as a total because it always disappoints. To the energy point, I think we're going to see the commodity rally this year. And the uh, Chevrons, the ExxonMobil's are as efficient as they've ever been. But those stocks are showing me nothing to think that those individual names are moving higher. I think uh, crude could move higher without the actual equities. Lilly is a Munjaro story, isn't it, largely, the, the weight loss drug? It's Alzheimer's and Alzheimer's obesity. and obesity drugs. Bonwin? Yeah, I mean, I like the healthcare defensive play. I, I think uh, over history that has proven <clears throat> itself to be relatively true. I think the setup is slightly different here because there are those three or four names that have had monstrous moves that trade in mid-30s or higher in terms of multiple. So typically, alongside that healthcare defensive nature, you're also going to move down into what you're paying for earnings. And I think that situation just isn't the case. So I actually do like XLV versus necessarily chasing a name that's already doubled over the last, I don't know, 12 or 18 months. As you look to rotate or barbell with that the Uber names and something a bit more defensive. Katie, you get the last word. Yeah, I mean, Merck, for one, is the fourth largest holding of XLV. And to me, that actually has a very interesting technical setup. It seems to be advancing from a corrective phase with the recent news. So I do think there's potential for these pharma names to outperform. And then there might be longevity to the trade as biotech starts to do better. All right, Katie, thank you very much. And folks, we're going to take a pause. Up next, final trade. 
All right, welcome back to Fast. Let's get another check on shares of NVIDIA off their highs of the after hours, uh, but still up by uh, six, almost 7%, $31.50280, trading at what would be an all-time high if the gains hold tomorrow. As Katie pointed out, that is really the key here. How much of those gains can that stock hold? Time now for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Mr. Grasso, you get to go first. Grayscale Ethereum Trust have been pounding it on the table. I continue to pound. Katie? I would say the Spider Gold Mini Shares, which is GLDM. Mini Shares. Mini Shares. All right. right. A little Spider Gold Minis. Bonowin? Yeah, I'm thinking similarly, looking for defensive plays, SLV. SLV. I share silver. You're taking a break from us tomorrow, but you'll be back Friday. I'll be back on Friday. Yeoman's work. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the coffee, by the way. I You're love the you, best, baby. man. Gilead, Tyler. Gilead. Gilead. All right. Pleasure to be with all of you. Thank you for letting, steering us through the uh, NVIDIA uh, maelstrom. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer.